Welcome to The Spark Effect, the most famous podcast you haven't heard of. I am your host, Wendy Durrell, bringing you stories, advice, support, and the most fascinating guests on the planet. I believe it just takes a spark to change a life. Let's do this thing. Hello, hello, everyone. I mentioned last week that the comedy episode that I wanted to do had to be pushed back because of a whole bunch of bad things that happened and people not showing up and canceling, but it was a good thing because I had three other people step up, total comedy pros, and uh, and they came to visit me at the Spark Effect. The first one, Jamie, she is a sketch comedy artist, and I asked her what would surprise people to learn about performing sketch comedy. Here's what she had to say. So, hi, I'm Jamie Curley. I am from Atlanta, Georgia. I do sketch comedy and also improv. Um, I think one of the things that is the most surprising about comedy is that there's an element of fear that you have to overcome in improv as well as in sketch because a lot of comedy comes from removing those filters and the braces on your brain and on your mouth and coming up with thoughts or ideas or things that you say from a well kind of within you. And it can be very revealing. Uh, The kinds of things that you put in your comedy reveal a lot about how you think and what kinds of ideas obsess you and plague you and a lot of these things find their way into your comedy you wind up learning a lot about yourself whatever kind of comedy you do and you also wind up revealing a lot of yourself to people who observe your comedy uh people in your audience even people you do comedy with um part of the improv experience is very much grounded in doing things with a team. And in sketch comedy, in in the sketch that I do, we also work with a team. So there's a certain amount of, like I said, bravery that has to come from working in comedy, writing comedy, doing it with other people. You can't be afraid to reveal yourself to other people. And sometimes the surprising thing is what it reveals to yourself you you find maybe uh, ideas or prejudices or thoughts or feelings that you weren't even aware that you had and writing comedy doing improv comedy can bring those out and can reveal them to you honestly i think comedy has saved my sanity uh the longer i have been working in it and the longer that i have been doing it Jamie, thanks for stopping by the Spark Effect and sharing the the more vulnerable side of working in comedy. My next guest, Eric, he is a host and producer of a variety of comedy shows here in New York City. There is a lot that goes on behind the scenes as far as comedy shows, so I'm excited for you to hear what he has to say. Hi, I'm Eric Vetter. I'm the host and producer of a series of comedy variety shows under the heading of No Name. Thanks for having me, Wendy. Uh, No Name celebrated its 25th anniversary this past February, uh, and it's mostly been a very, very fun ride. Some of the best comics working in 
New York City or, or the biz in general these days. Uh, they come to our shows. They they know it's a risk free place for them to play and try out new things. And uh, the joy is getting to see some of the most talented people in the business creating the wonderful stuff that everybody gets to see later on after it's been polished and worked out. So our audiences get to see something special that no one else does. Just in the last few months alone, we've had two comics that made their debut appearances on The Tonight Show. One of them was subsequently invited to become a staff writer. We had somebody who appeared on the Today Show. Two weeks ago, we had somebody who did our show uh, who last Saturday had a special that she starred in and executive produced on Showtime. So, I mean, these are among the people that you will see at our shows. It's pretty exciting. The downside is, well, these are free shows. Uh, so, you know, it, it's never easy. It is definitely like having two full-time jobs. And the time involved, not only from, say, aside from the sheer volume of shows we do, there's also the time, you know, spent in booking the shows and arranging the shows, communicating with potential performers or, you know, uh, and then, I mean, that's all of that is exclusive of the actual time spent hosting and actually doing the show, set up, breakdown. So for something for which one is not normally being paid, it's a very time intensive thing to commit to. No regrets, but it, it's, it, that would be the downside, I guess. As far as things I wish people understood. Stand-up comedy didn't happen just because somebody is funny and gets up on stage and starts talking. There's a real craft involved. Open mics around the country are filled with people who are standing on stage because their friends said, hey, you're funny, you should do stand-up. It doesn't work like that. There's a lot of craft involved and you have to really enjoy doing it to do it. Uh, it's not something you do to make money by and large, or if that's your main motivation, don't let that motivate you. You have to, yes, you have to be a funny person or know how to appear to be a funny person, but there's first, there's the writing. You have to be able to think of funny ideas. You have to have the craft to be able to put them into wordings and phrasings that communicate the funny idea. Then you have to have the skill set to be on stage and make it appear that this thing you spent this time writing and creating and crafting is just conversational and just coming out your mouth just free and easy. And then there's you know, the skill set of interacting with an audience. Sometimes folks who've been consuming a lot of beverages, so it's not just a matter of getting up there and reciting what you wrote, you know. So I just I wish people understood more often that there is a full set of skills involved it is a craft uh and you know maybe be a little more respectful of that i think the types of shows we do honors that craft and that work so i'm proud of that so now that i've told you all about the stuff we do i hope some of y'all will come check us out uh anyway thanks for having me wendy and uh great show thank you Thank you, Eric. No Name Comedy has shows on Tuesdays and Fridays. I'll make sure that in the show notes there are links on how you can find Eric and his um, comedy club.
The next guest I have on is Mary Ellen Hooper. Mary Ellen is a veteran in the world of stand-up. She has performed in clubs, colleges, theaters, television. She's appeared on many late-night talk shows, including several appearances on The Tonight Show with Leno. And she had a half-hour special on Comedy Central called Lounge Lizards that um, received rave reviews. It was such a pleasure speaking with her and really hearing more about what it's like to be a stand-up comedian. Enjoy. Mary Ellen, welcome to the Spark Effect. Hello, Miss Wendy. Hello, I'm so excited you're here. <laughs> I have to tell you, a couple weeks ago, I invited a panel of comedians onto the Spark Effect, and everyone was so jazzed and like, yes, we're going to come, we're going to do it. They committed to it, and then they all flaked, <laughs> and I went, into com- I went into complete panic mode, and then someone said, you should reach out to Mary Ellen. She's so professional. She's on time, and you have been. You've been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. But with all of them, it was like I said in my last episode, it was like trying to wrestle kittens all into one place. Like they just, it was like, it, it wasn't like, like a bad thing. They were just like, oh, I forgot, but we're totally in. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Well, I am so sorry on behalf of my brethren. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get started in comedy? Oh my gosh. Well, I, I got tired of people laughing at me for free. Um, I was always a theater major. And uh, so I kind of would always get the funny parts because I can't sing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, I, and I'm from New York. And the, and the funniest thing is, is that's how I grew up. I grew up with all of my parents and relatives sitting around a table telling funny stories. Like that was, I, I mean, I guess they do that all around the country, but it seems very, very prevalent in New York. Like that was our form of entertainment, just topping each other, one on top of the other. And the sarcasticness, like that's why I'm really good with hecklers because I've been heckled my whole life by my dad. <laughs> so <laughs> it's such a sarcastic way to grow up, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, so that served me very well. And um, the actual first time, like I didn't know how you became a comedian, Um but back in the olden days, <laughs> uh, when comedy clubs and things were uh, around popping up, and I went to a comedy club because I loved comedy and watched the show. And at the very end, the MC, who I wish I could remember who it was, probably a very good friend of mine now, they said, we have open mic night. And if you think you're funny, you can come on down and get on stage for five minutes. And I thought, oh, my gosh. That's how you do that. So I went down and watched, and I thought, well, I could be at least that bad. Um, (laughs) They were not very good, but nobody is, you know. And um, I think I did really well because I had all that theater training uh, before, so I did really well. So they made me a regular, and then you just start going around and doing your five minutes everywhere you can, Uh, you know, talent shows and different bars, and that's how I started, and it's a grind right it's it's a lot of work it is for and no money and but you just love it and you can't wait to get back on stage even if you die you're like it's kind of like learning to ride a bike you fall a lot but you're like god i want to do this (laughs) so you just keep trying and skidding your knees and getting heckled and uh so your skid knees are mostly emotional but um occasionally they're physical, but (laughs) what was your, your turning point from like beginner to really coming into your own in the world of comedy? 
you know, this sounds crazy, but moving uh, from New York, um, I think that in New York, the comedy was very, very sarcastic and kind of with a really, um, I don't want to say dark side, but it was very outward. So uh, Jerry Seinfeld and, you know, a lot of those guys, it was observational, isn't the world so stupid kind of thing. Mine, on the other hand, was storytelling what I call dignity under duress. So when I moved away from New York, I moved actually to Philly for a little while, but then to California, I went on stage at the Ice House, which is in Pasadena, and I did the same material I had been doing, but my first joke got such a big laugh, and I have it on video. You see me kind of like turn and look behind me because I thought, (laughs) Is somebody doing something behind? Like, why are they laughing so hard? That's wonderful. <laughs> and I just really found that my sensibility was more, uh, you know, kind of Southern West Coast-ish, you know. So then I immediately got my first TV show when I went out there. I mean, it was just that fast. I got um, Evening at the Improv, and uh, then I got Star Search, and then I just started doing all of those, you know, the all those uh, late night uh, talk shows and stand up specials. So, so great. You're a mom of two. What did they think about Mom the comedian? It's really interesting, a very timely question because um, my boys are now 14 and 11. And because they grew up with it, it was just, uh, okay, I'm going to work. Mommy's going to tell jokes. That's what they say. Mommy's going to tell jokes. <laughs> and it was just, such a normal thing for them. But just recently I, I took my family to see, I don't know if you've heard of a uh, tape face. Um, he is a silent, uh, comic. He started as a street performer. He was on America's got talent and that's where my boys really fell in love with him. And, and I really appreciate that old school kind of, you know, silent clowning thing. So he came and we went to go see him and out of the whole crowd, he chooses me to come up on stage, right? So really fun. And and then I hear as I'm walking up, I hear a couple, you know, some like, like recognition. Okay. So after the show, people were coming up to me and, you know, take photos and, you know, um, oh my gosh, you know, we were so surprised and blah, blah, blah. And you look and you see my kids and it was the first time, really, because they can't go to clubs or anything, that they saw that, right? Right. And so they're like, Mom, why? They want to take a picture of you because you were pulled up from the audience? I go, no, they're actually fans, and they know, uh, they, they're they comedy fans, so they know who I am. And they're like, Mom, are you famous? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I wouldn't go that far, but... There are people who love comedy that definitely, you know, know who I am. And so, but just to see that happen, it was, it was really interesting because my older son put his arm around me and he was like being protective almost and like, what is happening? This is, yeah, it was really funny and uh, quite the, the thing. So then he started Googling me and thank goodness. I mean, no offense to Amy Schumer, but I'm so happy I didn't choose that route. Right. So mortifying um, to have your sons, you know, hear that kind of material. I'm I've chose because I'm I don't cuss in real life, really, or you know, I I enjoy clean humor. 
So that was the first time that I was like, okay, good choice. <laughs> what a good moment too. Yeah. That, and, and the internet can definitely be your friend or your enemy, depending upon what, what you've done over the last like 20 years. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, what is... What has changed as far as comedy from when you started to today? Well, it's almost like magic. You know, when you first see magic, you're so like, oh my gosh, uh, it's this is amazing. But now, because there's so much of it, people kind of can see how it's done, right? So it's it was, I think, easier... I would say easier to get laughs, but people were more innocent back then. So you didn't have to go to such extremes for for laughter. And and I'm kind of using the the dirty standpoint, right? So every generation has gotten to had to get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier to have the shock value. Right. Um so you know, back in the day when Lenny Bruce would just say some dirty words, that was like, holy cow, right? Um, so crazy. So now we've gone so far that you have these, you know, really crazy deaf jam back in the nineties that was like talking about all kinds of body parts mm-hmm. and, 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 and sex and things like that. And, and I almost feel like we've gone so far that it kind of is turning around a little bit. And I see that now on the internet, on Facebook, like with dry bar comedy and, and those things, it's, they're all clean comedy. It's all clean. So I think you can go so far that you're like, okay, unless we actually, um, kill somebody and dissect their parts on stage, you know, we kind of have to go back a little bit. Yeah. Because people have become so desensitized. Right. 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 And so, but I also have seen, the whole gamut of when I started, um, there wasn't the political correctness. And then you went through the appropriate political correctness. And then the extreme, you can't say anything. And and now it's swung back to, I see my son and, and his friends are making racial jokes and stuff with each other. So it's it's almost like you just watch these kind of waves, you know, go back and forth and back and forth because I'm 500 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. And and then I always get, you know, which I appreciate you haven't uh, brought up but the whole woman thing. Um when I started, there definitely weren't that many uh women. Uh it was very hard, uh much harder for women because it was just a new thing, right? And then you had some uh, comedians who shall be nameless, <laughs> Jerry Lewis, um, who would say things like women aren't funny and lots of people believe that. And so it was very hard. And now there are so many women, which I'm so happy to see because along with the political correctness came, came that as well. And, it, and I always would say to people, people come up to me after show and they'll say, oh my gosh, I don't like female comics, but I sure like you. And I said, okay, now let's break that down. There aren't very many female comedians. So chances are that you've seen one or two you didn't like. Now you're generalizing all of them. Now, if you were to see a Caucasian male comedian that you didn't like, or two or three or five, you wouldn't say, I don't like white male comics. (laughs) Right, right. Right? So you're kind of doing the same thing. And then they would go, oh, yeah, you're totally right. 
Yeah. So I, you know, when I can, I try to <laughs> spread that awareness and it's the same with any minority. If you happen, if you're Caucasian and you happen to see an African-American or two or three comics you didn't like, wasn't your cup of tea, you now are going to generalize and say, I don't like African-American comedians. Okay. Well, that's not true. You just haven't found one that you liked yet. Now that you have, you can't say that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just that there aren't as many. So that's, Okay, wait, I have to kick the soapbox out from under me. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the hardest part of your job? Well, right now it's leaving uh my my boys and my husband. You know, that that's definitely the hardest because unfortunately with my job, you know, lots of people who travel for a living understand that it's so glorious and you love what you do and you're having such a great time, but there's that big chunk of your heart missing, you know, so Definitely, that's the hardest part. And I'm doing lots of cruise ships, uh, Disney cruise ship actually, only because of that fact, because I can bring my family on board in the summer. So it's amazing, not to mention they're an amazing company to work for, but that I can bring my family on board with me and they are with me the whole summer. It's it's just unbelievable and it just puts everything together. It's 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 really really great. And then the, I guess the second hardest thing is coming up with material that hasn't in your own voice, right? So, cause everything's been done, everything under the sun, but putting your spin on it so that it's original, that's, it's very challenging when there's so many comedians and so many voices looking at the same topics, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, that, uh, they get accused of, of, you know, theft. But in music too, there's a lot of music, uh, a lot of songs that sound the same. It's because there's only so many notes and people exactly. are influenced right. by the same things. And it might not be, you know, a, like a an evil thing. It might just be coincidence. Yeah, there's something that we call in the business subliminal stealing. So say you, as a comic, you hang out in comedy clubs. That's what you do. You could be in the bar in the next room. Now, you can still hear the comic on stage. You don't think you're listening. You're having a conversation, but they're talking about, you know, airplanes there and they're bit about it. Now that's going into your subconscious. You're hearing it. Now you go home and write this amazing bit about <laughs> being on an airplane. And you're like, I totally wrote this. So that can happen. But also because you're all creative minds and you're sitting around uh, coming up with something on the same topic, uh, the example I use is, okay, you're on a deserted island and you've never been to the mainland and you invent the wheel. Now you come over here and you're like, I invented this. Like, I, yeah, that's awesome, but we already have one. So you have to swallow your pride and go, yeah, I guess so. And kind of our rule of thumb is if somebody has done it on TV first, <laughs> it's kind of theirs. And it's your job as a comedian to kind of do your research. Um for example, my son just came home with uh, lice and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm definitely writing about this, but I did my homework and I went on the internet, which we didn't have back in the day, which was much harder, but you can kind of look and see, has anyone done lice material? Because I certainly don't want to copy somebody. You know, if somebody's already come up with a joke, um, I want to make sure that I take do my take on it. So lots of new comics don't do that. No, no. <laughs> and you're, and you're right. It, mu- it with the internet, it must be um easier to be able to look up that stuff and more people should. Yeah, I mean, now there's definitely a possibility that somebody's a club comic and they've been doing something about it, but 
uh, until somebody comes up to me and says, you know, uh, this person, Joe Schmo, he's been doing this con- this bit for a long time. And then I would say, okay, you're, or I, I believe you. <laughs> One time I was a, I was a judge in a comedy competition here locally and, um, one of the uh, comedians uh, did one of my bits from oh my. my special. Oh, my. <laughs> and, and I was like, wow. And they came up because they we could give them feedback. And she said, why did you give me so low on originality? <laughs> <laughs> I go, well, here, you're going to want to look. And I go on my phone and I showed it to her. <laughs> I was like, kind of why? Oh, my gosh. But I thought of it. I came up with it. Sure you did. But, yeah, it's embarrassing. So if you are going to steal, make sure you remember who all your bits are from so you don't do them when they're, the <laughs> when they're there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. What um, What do you wish more people knew about comedy? I wish they knew that as much as they would like us to come to work with them to get new material, <laughs> we can't. So many people come up afterwards and go, if you would come to work with me, you would have so much material. Oh, my. <laughs> or if I've just finished doing a, a PG-rated set, PG-13 set, please don't come up and tell me the most racist, racist, dirty joke that you've ever heard. You know what I mean? Right. What? And say, yeah, you can use that. What? <laughs> but did you just not? Okay. Like, zero awareness there. Wow. Yeah. I wish people knew. And I also wish they knew how hard it is. The thing about comedy is our job is to make it look simple. And because we make it look easy, people don't realize how much work goes into it. They just think you get up and talk. And I get, I was going to say, I wouldn't get frustrated, but I think it's funny that, say, I'll be on a showcase. And there's singers and dancers or jugglers or or even when I work on the ship, you know, you have the, the juggler act or this or that. And they'll get a, a standing ovation. And and then for for me, like if I don't get a standing ovation, it's like they'll come up and go, we had the best time ever. And I just want to go, but you didn't stand up for me, but the guy juggling balls you did because it, they can see how hard it is. They've tried to juggle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, and the assumption is that it's easier for for comedians. yes, because because we're that good at it. Right. No, it's hard. I I tried. Did <laughs> I, you? Uh, yeah, I, I was. You know, I, I did stage management most of the time. I was way better with with technical. But I I went through um, improv classes in college, and it was the most terrifying, hard thing I've ever done. So I. <laughs> I bowed down to you guys and I got one laugh one night and it was the best moment ever. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> it's funny. I'm out. You threw the mic down. That's it. Well, that's, that's the drug that keeps you going. You know, that, that laughter, that, that's definitely what keeps you playing the horrible, horrible one nighters in the beginning. And, you know, uh, all that crazy stuff just for that. It's cause there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it when you can get, People laughing so hard that they're holding their sides and tears are rolling down their eyes and it's it's amazing. Best feeling. I was I was reading your blog this morning and I saw in Vegas that you fell did off the stage. Did people assume that um, it was part of your your bit? Oh yeah, they always assume. In fact, this is really terrible. But I just read that there was a comic. I want to say he was in London or England somewhere. 
but he died on stage. <gasps> I and saw people, that too. Yeah, people laughed for five minutes because the crazy thing was, is right before it happens, he said, what would you guys do if I actually died on stage? I think he was probably having pains and that, and he said it, right. but then he had a heart attack and died and everyone was laughing. But I've, I've passed out on stage before and it was quite a while because I had a, I don't know, it was like a, a throat infection and they gave me this narcotic and I hadn't, uh, for it, I hadn't eaten and, and the bright lights and I just totally passed out. And it was quite a few minutes oh, no. <laughs> before yeah, this came up. But same thing when when I was in Vegas, uh, everything is so dry because there's you're in a desert. So my feet were <laughs> so dry, and I had slip-on shoes. So I got to step down off of this stage, the stairs. My shoe kind of slips off my foot and just makes me tumble. I had a glass of water in my hand landed on my stomach flat down with my feet up on the stage behind me. I'm just so, oh, no. so glad my my skirt wasn't above my head. That would have been a whole nother show. But I was just laying there and people were right next to me just looking at me. And one of them was a doctor that I'd been talking to the whole night. And I'm like, well, I guess probably there's a deductible or something, but you know, the maitre d who knows my show came running over little tiny maria and she's and she's helping me up i go maria nobody help me she's like i know baby i know <laughs> you're okay <laughs> but it was terrible i've had to leave the stage because i had to go to the bathroom what well, i had to pee so <laughs> <laughs> i was sitting on the stool and wriggling and doing trying the, to go doing the dance <laughs> we we dance it was terrible. And so I just said to the audience, I go, you know what? You guys, we're going to take a one-minute break. And I ran off the stage and I came back and they were just looking at me. I go, I had to pee. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I've been on a ship where there was the hurricane and they were trying to go around it. So everybody was sick. Everybody, everybody. Like even the, the crew was sick. But because there were eight people sitting in the audience they made me go do my show oh my god and they were all sitting there with the barf bags <laughs> <laughs> so i would come out and do some jokes i'd go excuse me walk off stage blah, throw up <laughs> go back on stage wipe in my mouth okay where was i <laughs> i'm gonna go back to the the hardest part of your job that might actually qualify that, that oh, night yeah there's no sick days <laughs> there is there because if you're sick you cancel it. There's like, you know, a theater full of people. Like, that's terrible. It, it's really, really hard. I've had, you know, you have deaths in the family or, you know, somebody's broken up with you and you're heartbroken. I went on a stage. I This is when I was back in Philadelphia and I was just the MC and it was an all woman show. And I used to have props and do characters because I hadn't really found my voice yet. But that I, my boyfriend had broken up with me and I was crying all night long, up all night. So I go on stage and I start talking and this woman in the front row, very sweet. She's like, it looks like you've been crying. Oh. And I just, and I just bust and cry. And I'm like, I have been crying, my boyfriend. And I just start venting and got huge laughs, like huge, huge laughs. And then I actually got a standing ovation and I got off stage and the headliner she goes, that was amazing. Don't ever do that in front of me again. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so but that good. was how I found my voice. You know, it was like, okay, I can talk about me and be real. Because when I started, I was so young and I didn't really have anything to talk about. So, right. Uh, yeah, but now I have so much to talk about. <laughs> yeah, especially with, with kids, family, all that stuff. Your your son asked you to throw a surprise party for him. Will, will you tell us that story? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was probably one of my parenting lows. Uh, it was so – my intentions were so good. He walks into the bedroom. This is probably about uh, about a month before his birthday. And he goes, Mom, and I'm sound asleep. He wakes me up, tap, tap, tap on my forehead because – I want to have a surprise party. And then he backs out of the room, waving his hands in front of his face, going, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, okay, I could do this. So it, the way it worked out was his birthday was during the week. So we were having the party on the weekend after. In hindsight, you have it the weekend before because on his birthday – we were pretending to just have a family party. So we put up a banner and we said, there's a surprise for you in the bedroom. And it was actually, I bought him a present and it was in there. So he runs in there waiting for the surprise and there's nothing. And then he runs out into the living room, nothing. And then he looks up at me with his quivering lip and he goes, None of my friends showed up for my surprise party. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, oh, sweetheart, we told you you're not having a party this year. We're going to go to whatever it was, Disney or something. That's your present. And he's like, oh, okay. So my husband's like hitting me in the shoulder going, tell him, tell him. <laughs> I turn to him with the, the white face right. that says, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, no, I put in this much work. It's only two more days. <laughs> so I s completely scarred him so that we could pull off the surprise. So for two days, he was like so depressed and moping. Aww. <laughs> it was terrible. But then when he was surprised, he was very happy. He goes, okay, mom, this is a good surprise. But next time, do it before. <laughs> <laughs> it was so sad. <laughs> Oh, but it sounds like it was a good surprise in the end. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We, it just cost me a couple of a thousand in therapy to get over the initial horrible. Oh. And him telling all his friends, nobody showed up for my party. And all those kids going, what, what party? Because they didn't know about it. You can't tell a no. kid they're oh, going my. to a surprise party. My stepdaughter w went with, with my boyfriend, her dad, to get me a birthday present like a week before my birthday and came home and was like, we got you a guitar strap. I'm like, it's supposed to be a surprise. <laughs> you, you can't, they can't keep They're tickets. They're just too excited. They can't help it. Yeah. yeah. What's next for you? What is next? Well, uh, it's, it's going to be a big weekend of material gathering because we are flying across the country to Long Beach, California, to take my sons to watch the taping of the BattleBot show. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. How extravagant is that? Because he is, lives and breathes com, uh, combat uh, robotics. He builds them and he does this. So we found out that the taping of the TV show, of course, is out in California. So we are flying out there and I'm sure lots of stuff's going to happen. So that'll be my new... How fun. Thing. 
Yeah, it, it beats sitting out in the sun uh, yelling at p- kids playing soccer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I get to be indoors watching uh, robots uh, crash each other. Yeah, I remember sitting outside in the rain watching my stepson play football in like the freezing no. weather. And you have to you have to cheer them on. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's like no, miserable weather. <laughs> Where's the rule that says that? Right. <laughs> you get them excited about indoor activities. That's what I do. After that, I think it's um I am working on the Disney cruise ship and I am in negotiation with a new for a new special. So oh, that's so exciting. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Mm. No, you are awesome. You were prepared. You weren't even going off your cuff. You were good. <laughs> no, I have to be. <laughs> Otherwise I'll be way too nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I and I, I do appreciate I remember one interviewer, this is way back in Philadelphia in, gosh, I guess the, in the early 2000s, she was all about doing an article on how women get the, sh- you know, or get the short end of the deal. And um, so she's doing this article. And the ironic part is, is that she is bringing out the fact that we are female, which is what the article is about that people do. <laughs> So she asked me, what's it like to be a female comedian? And I said, well, when you're a male comic, nobody asks you what it's like to be a male comic. (laughs) Hence, your whole article is uh, against what you're trying to do. Right. You know, so I know fight the fight. But um, I appreciate that you uh, just treated me as a comedian. Oh, so fun. Marilyn, thank you so much for visiting the Spark Effect. I will I will make sure that everybody can find you in the show notes and follow you on social media. Yay. Thank you. There's lots of stories. So if you feel bad about yourself as a parent, just come follow me. <laughs> you will find all of Mary Ellen's information in the show notes. Thank all of my guests, Jamie, Eric, and Mary Ellen for stopping by. And thank you to the listeners. Big shout out to the Spark Effect crew. You guys keep the lights on here. This show is always for free. If you've been listening for a while and it's worth a couple dollars to you, head on over to our Patreon page and join the Spark Effect crew. You get out a shout out on the show and my eternal gratitude. I hope everyone is healthy, happy, and well, and I will see you next week.